Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Good morning and welcome along to the New Year's Eve Eve edition of the Football Social Daily. 2023 is just around the corner and the day job of the Premier League is back in business. Forget about Messi, Mbappe, Salt Bay, whoever, they're all in the past. The real excitement now begins because it's West Ham against Brentford tonight and we wouldn't have it any other way. Let's be honest, that is where the excitement is Two Premier League games on the agenda tonight. The blunted hammers against the buzzing bees as Brentford hop across the capital to face a struggling David Moyes and West Ham. Elsewhere, Leicester make the long trip up the M6. Brendan Rodgers back at his old stomping ground as they take on Liverpool. Both of those games previewed in part one as 2022 becomes 2023. In part two, we're flicking over to transfer mode. The January window is creaking open. Jude Bellingham is on the agenda. Will he be joining Cody Hakpo at Anfield? Is Yao Felix heading to the Premier League? And will Eric Ten Hag be walking in Memphis? That's a good one for you. You can keep that one. Uh, and then to wrap it all up, we'll have the Friday quiz. And today's theme has been a busy Christmas, New Year. Have you been watching carefully? Have you been too busy with mince pies and Christmas turkey? Or have you been paying close attention to the Premier League's return? So let's get cracking. My name's Fergal Brennan. On duty today, we have Niall McCorn and Joel Tudor. Guys, how are we doing? I'm good, Fergal. What's happening, guys? It's um that period between Christmas and New Year where the days just blend and merge into one i'm looking at the clock here 30th of december but it could be any of the other days either side of today and i would not have a clue um but it's stacked with football so that's what we like joel disclaimer here give us a new year's resolution we'll make it a good one because everyone's got the usual ones go to the gym more read more walk more 
Have you got a good one? <laughs> Probably to lose this 10 kg. I feel like I'm carrying around with me after Christmas because it just doesn't seem to be moving at the moment. But I don't seem to be moving either, so it's a bit of a conundrum. But uh, yeah, it's, it feels like one day rolled into one from Christmas to New Year, doesn't it? But thank God that we have the football to kind of move it on a little bit. <laughs> I uh, I call that the Christmas puddings, Christmas pudding. That's what that weight is. It's the <clears throat> it's the Christmas pudding <laughs> on top of the Christmas pudding. Well, the Premier League is back, uh, Niall. Obviously, the World Cup disrupting, very rudely disrupting the Premier League season. But the day job, the bread and butter is back, the Premier League. And we've got two games to wrap up 2022 this evening. West Ham against Brentford and Liverpool against Leicester. We're going to touch on West Ham-Brentford first. That's the earlier game. And it's been a frustrating return for both teams. Looking at the Boxing Day results, they were both leading and they both let it slip. Arsenal edging out West Ham to stay top of the table. And then Spurs fighting back to get a draw against Brentford. Looking at West Ham's situation, it's it's not good. There's no way of sugarcoating this. Four Premier League defeats in a row. That's their worst run under Moyes. And it's their worst Premier League run since the opening month of 1819 under Manuel Pellegrini. Moyes is an experienced head. He gave quite a good press conference coming into this game. He's not going to panic. And he said he's not going to do anything daft. They've got a lot of experienced operators in the team, in the squad. But they need to reverse this because it's... It is bad. Four defeats in a mm. row. That's edging close to the kind of Premier League rule of five or six defeats in a row and you get sacked. Yeah, you're right. He is under pressure. And you know what? Just a little side note here. Um, <clears throat> I was looking at Facebook memories that pop. You know, every now and again, every day, you get Facebook memories pop up so you can see what you said a number of years ago. Well, I had one from 10 years ago where 18-year-old me apparently posted on Facebook saying, David Moyes didn't get his wish of a new pair of eyebrows for Christmas. I don't know what I was thinking of back then, 10 years ago, (laughs) slagging off David Moyes in his eyebrows. Well, he didn't. He didn't. (laughs) They're still non-existent for whatever reason. Um, But I'm sure his eyebrows are not the, the top of his worry list at the moment, Fergal. You're absolutely right. West Ham's form has not been good. It's not been good enough, really. And I guess the reason David Moyes is still in a job, I think he actually gets on well with the ownership, uh, Messrs. Gold and Sullivan. I do think that that goes a long way. Um, I also feel that he's probably bought himself some extra time in the hot seat at London Stadium because of the the season that West Ham had last term and probably the term before as well. So the last two seasons before this one have been uh, impressive as far as West Ham United are concerned. He's done something which we thought might take a while to do, which was kind of unify the London Stadium as a venue. We said when they moved from the bowling ground to London Stadium, it was obviously a big change in environment, an extra 20,000, 30,000 seats, a massively different layout of the stadium. We know that Upton Park had a really good atmosphere and a lot of history there. And then to start from the ground up in 2016, of course, it's been six years now, but it took a good three or four of those years to really get the elements of an atmosphere and a a home ground feeling in place for West Ham. It did just feel like they were kind of displaced for a while, even though the London Stadium was their new home. And I think it's fair to say under David Moyes, the team have been able to kind of unify the fan base again, get a good atmosphere going at London Stadium, which is something that we weren't sure was going to happen. So I think David Moyes, as I mentioned, has probably bought himself a bit of time, to be honest, Fergal. But you're right. I do think that the Premier League is such a, a brutal and ruthless beast that should he lose tonight, should he lose the first couple of games of the new year, West Ham may well be looking to make a change. But I do think that, you know, had this been another manager... Uh, he might well have been on, on his way already and been given his marching orders already. But the fact of the matter is, Moyes had a good season last year for West Ham. You're spot on with what you say. They've got a good group of players. They're not 
one of the three worst teams in the Premier League. But as we always say in this division, you know, football doesn't have any favourites. It's um, it's a game that can can pull you down to the depths, even if you have a really good squad. And you just only need to look at Leicester City at the start of the season to prove that theory. They were in the relegation zone for large parts and then they think they won four of their final five games before the World Cup break to put them up to mid-table. I know we're going to talk about Leicester in a minute because they go to Liverpool, but certainly if you look at how they've kind of pulled themselves out of it and they're now mid-table, although they've still got concerns, as was probably highlighted by that recent defeat to Newcastle, there's no reason why West Ham can't look at Leicester's form in a five-game spell. They've picked up results. They pulled themselves out of the mire. What's to say the Hammers couldn't do the same under David Moyes? The pressure was on Brendan Rodgers. At the time, he rode out, managed to find results. The pressure was on David Moyes before the World Cup. It still is now. Maybe if they give him a couple more games, can he start to string together some results? Because as you rightly say, they've got good enough players and experienced enough players to turn the corner at some point soon. So that will be what they'll be hoping to do tonight. Joel, where do you stand on this? Because Niall makes a good point about credit in the bank for David Moyes. Based on the last two seasons, they finished sixth, they finished seventh, all the way to the semi-finals of the Europa League last season. They're through to the knockouts of the Europa Conference League this season and didn't really have any issues in doing that. But the teams around them in the table, and maybe more importantly, the managers in and around them in the table this season, most of them have been sacked. Bournemouth have had a change. Wolves, Southampton have all had changes. Frank Lampard's under pressure at Everton. Steve Cooper bizarrely was given a contract extension even though he seemed like he was heading for the exit David Moyes is more experienced than all of those managers is that is that what is saving him the fact that he doesn't necessarily play by the rules of five or six defeats maybe he gets seven defeats or eight defeats before the big questions start being asked I saw a tweet the other day which kind of summed up the situation I, I thought it myself but I just couldn't put it into words and it goes by Moyes buying Pekater is like my nan when she bought Sky Q and honestly I I feel that tweet deep inside because I said the other week I just don't feel like David Moyes has the capability to go one step further with the plays that he's actually signed because in the summer you know, they spent a good amount. I think it was like £150 million on the likes of Paqueta, Skamaka, Aguirre, Cornier, who we've barely even seen, Emerson from Chelsea. Like, these are all plays that should have taken them one step further from last season when they had an amazing league finish. They were on the cusp of potentially challenging for Champions League qualification. And to be honest, I'm, I'm just really confused. I'm trying to understand whether it is literally just a hangover from last season because you can't say they haven't tried to progress they've been extremely ambitious in the market and West Ham fans have been probably waiting for that kind of market to come um, at their club and now the fact that they're almost languishing and it just feels I don't know what it's not the same vibe as it was last year around the club last year it felt like nothing could go wrong you know Declan Rice in the form of his life and then you had Jared Bowen who was getting calls up for England and just couldn't seem to be touched in that in that team and it just seems like the level's gone down one tier and I would agree with the fact that you know he's been in the job for a good number of years now at West Ham and he has obviously the faith in the owners and I think it would be a, a little bit too drastic to start switching and changing right now when like I say the table is a massive pendulum swinger at the moment in terms of one win takes you out of pressure one loss takes you into the headlines and that's just the nature of the Premier League especially when it comes to the bottom half of the table where it really does change like a roll of a dice and I just think with West Ham they're probably the 
best equipped side to actually get out of this trouble just because they have the individuals who can actually make the difference you know in comparison to the majority of teams around them who don't unfortunately have the have the um pleasure of having all these big named expensive players who are individuals as well you know the likes of nottingham forest i know they signed 20 odd players but they don't have those proper individuals and i just think with west ham the form will come eventually i just think he's, he's signed a bunch of players and he doesn't know where each of them best fits in the system and how to get them all in or if they should all be in there I think that's the trouble he's had maybe it was a case of just um, not potentially signing the plays that he needed but the ones that were just there available rather than just adding you know each in each little different position so it's it's a different it's a difficult one to analyze and i just don't think that he's capable of managing such plays that he's signed if i'm honest uh, before we move on to liverpool leicester call this for us niall moyes under pressure against the brentford side that are doing pretty well how's it going to go down i actually thought brentford looked okay in the game they had on boxing day and i didn't quite like the look on Thomas Frank's face I think he's going to get stuck into his players to be honest with you I think we'll see a reaction here Brentford are one of those teams that are dangerous um, even if West Ham take the lead I was looking at the statistics last season only Liverpool picked up more points from losing positions than Brentford did and I fancy something similar to happen today I fancy West Ham to take the lead but Brentford to come back I think it's going to be more misery for Moisey I'm afraid I'm going to go 2-1 Brentford so five defeats on the run for David Moyes Joel any uh, any faith in your former Manchester United boss? <laughs> I never had faith in them um, I-, I could probably see this being quite a stalemate but it could be the game where it gets the momentum going so I would probably go with a West Ham win today uh, I'm going to go as a bit of a fence sitter. I'm going to go for a draw. Brentford love a draw, and Moise, Moisey, I, I fancy he, he needs. He, I see him just clawing through the mud, and he's he's too much of a wily operator to go down without a fight. So I'm going to go for a draw, and uh, Moise to be okay. Right, let's move on to Liverpool, Leicester, Niall. Liverpool back in business after the World Cup, three-one win away at Aston Villa but a much different story for Leicester. You touched on it before the break of a tale of two campaigns so far for the Foxes. Dreadful at the start. They couldn't buy a win. Literally, they couldn't buy a win. Six defeats from their first seven games. Brendan turned it around before the World Cup and and they were excellent. Uh, Maybe they didn't want the World Cup break. They were that good. They were in such good form. But 3-0 defeat at home to Newcastle on Boxing Day swings the pressure back onto Leicester. And I think... I think I speak for everyone when I say the worst thing Leicester can do is panic because they could have panicked before. Sack Rogers just tore up the game plan and started again and they'd be in a big, big mess. Mm. They did lose to Newcastle and they were poor on Boxing Day, but the evidence is there. The proof is in the Christmas pudding that Rogers knows what he's doing. Yeah, I would agree with that. And actually, I watched their first game post-World Cup, which was an EFL Cup match, League Cup match uh, against MK Dons away from home. And they were very, very good. And let's not kid ourselves. Milton Keynes are 22nd in League One, one of the worst teams in the third division. And Leicester City have turned up with a very strong squad that night, it must be said. And they've played them off the park. They've beat them 3-0. There are a couple of jitters, um, which maybe would have gone punished 
by a, a better team, a more skilled team, but they were accomplished. Tielemans was great. Vardy was great. And actually, I thought Vardy made the difference in terms of trying to wrestle something back for Leicester when he came off the bench against Newcastle the other day. And I was doing the game actually alongside Ewan Roberts, who used to play for Leicester and Norwich, as well as a number of other clubs. And I asked him, would you not rather have been in Liverpool's or Manchester City's position for these first games after the World Cup, this Carabao Cup midweek run of fixtures and played against the Premier League team? If I was Brendan Rodgers, would I rather have played against the Liverpool or against an Everton or against a Brentford or anyone really from the same division? Because as Joel mentioned a few weeks back on the show, there was an element of the pre-seasons about those Carabao Cup matches, the first ones post-World Cup. And we weren't sure what sort of sides that managers were going to pick. Brendan Rodgers decided he was going to go really strong because I think he probably realised how dangerous Newcastle were going to be in the Boxing Day game. So I wonder whether... Brendan Rodgers would rather... I know you can only get who you're drawn against in a cup tie. It's, it's luck, isn't it? But I wonder whether Brendan Rodgers would rather have his side had a tougher test against a, a top-end championship or a Premier League team rather than a team fighting for survival in the third division of English football. Um, and they played really well against MK Dons. But I just remember asking you and Roberts that question and thinking, if I was Brendan Rodgers, I think I'd rather have come up against the Premier League team. Because... I'm not sure whether it lulled them into a false sense of security that they'd be all right because Tielemans played exceptionally well in that game against Milton Keynes. Luke Thomas played really well. There was, there was so many good standout performers. Um, but Newcastle United are a team who just look on fire at the moment and they've carried on where they've left off after the after the World Cup break. So I think that was a bit of a bump back down to earth for Brendan Rodgers and Leicester against Newcastle. So I just wonder whether had they have played a different side, a Premier League side in that Carabao Cup fixture, would they have fared better against Newcastle? Let's face it, though, there's no shame in losing to Newcastle. I think if they won nine of their last 10 games in the Premier League, absolutely remarkable run that they've been on. So, you know, you have to you have to tip your hat to Newcastle and, you know, it doesn't get any easier coming up against the Liverpool side who have underwhelmed this season. But you're right, Leicester City have improved since the start of the campaign. There are several reasons as to why I think Leicester haven't been as good as they should have been this season, which I've already discussed. And it, it comes down to kind of financial implications and socioeconomic implications, which we won't get stuck into now. But certainly I think that Leicester have got good enough players um, with a fully fit squad to be able to hurt most teams in the Premier League when they're on it. The problem is they've not been on it enough this season. And that is the problem with the Premier League. You have to be consistent. And I guess you could level something similar, Fergal, at, at Liverpool. You know, they've not been at their consistent best, at their ruthless best. And, you know, you can't afford to have two or three off matches in this division because you will get picked apart, even by the teams that are at the, uh, you know, the wrong end of the table. So I do think Leicester are okay. I do think there's improvements to be made. I'm not sure whether they'll sign anyone in January. Uh, certainly the summer, though, coming up, if they do survive, is a massive summer for them. Um, I know we're still six months away from that point, but football clubs now have to think ahead. Um, but Brendan Rodgers won't be thinking any further ahead than tonight's game against Liverpool. And uh, he'll want to get one over on his old club. There's no doubt about that. So uh, I think it'd be interesting tonight. It might be closer than people might realise. Now, Joel, I have to ask you a difficult question because some of the attention at Anfield tonight will be on the stands and a certain Mr Hackpo. I would hate for all of your research into him as a Manchester United fan to go in the bin. He's not going to play tonight. Jurgen Klopp said that the paperwork isn't done in time. He's probably not actually going to make his debut until mid-January. Luis Diaz is out injured. Diogo Jota is out injured. Liverpool... <clears throat> have brought Gakpo in to boost their attacking options to make sure that they don't fall behind in the race for top four, potentially even the title race. 
what does he bring to Liverpool? Because I'm, I'm tongue-in-cheek with you here about Manchester United. United wanted him. He's a very, very impressive player. He's really good at the World Cup. Where does he get into this Liverpool team and how does he improve them? Well, he's prolific, but that's in the Eredivisie, so it's, it's with a, a bitten tongue I'm saying that because, like I mentioned in the other podcast, there's a flip of a coin of what kind of player you're going to get when you get someone who is super clinical coming from that league has a lot of attention and um, off the back of a World Cup which was very good for him as well with three goals of course you know the attention around him is massive um, and I think United were literally toying over basically him or Anthony in the summer and they've opted for the latter one and I'm happy for that I just think that in this scenario he wasn't the right choice for United whereas for Liverpool with the fact that Luis Diaz is now probably injured for a good couple of months you can't rely on you know Oxley Chamberlain playing a left wing um, that's going to completely hamper their attack and it's just incredible how Sadio Mane's departure has really just set a light a massive chain reaction of transfers that have needed to be done in order to actually fill his void because although I don't think that his departure is the cause of them being now 15 points off first place because let's not forget they should be challenging again but their transfers in the summer just were not up to scratch compared to cities and arsenals um, 15 points off the top is massive um, especially for a team like Liverpool who have been been toe-to-toe with City for the last three or four years now um, and it's purely a case of just filling a void especially for Luis Diaz is he's going to provide goals I mean he's got 12 goals and nine assists in the in the Dutch league this season in 15 games which is really impressive but like I say he has he has it all to prove I've said it even when he was linked with United everyone thinks that these stats mean that he's a sure fit but it's a completely different proposition for a player coming from that league and it's a different kind of play style different culture different city different everything different level that's the biggest part about it and I'm going to be interested to see how he actually adapts but like I mentioned uh, previously I just think that with Liverpool's side it's pretty it's pretty easy for an attacker to come into it I don't I say easy relatively easy because because they create so many chances, not just from the forward line, but from the fullbacks, that it's pretty impossible to not get under a good kind of form. I mean, even Nunes, I know he gets a lot of pelters at the moment, but he will come eventually good in terms of his clinicalness. Is That's literally the only thing missing from his game at the moment because he gets so many chances. Uh, and I just think with Gakpo, it, it, the jury's still out for me massively. No, uh, no sour grapes at all there, Joel. Right, call this for us, Niall. How's it going to go down at Anfield? It tends to be only one result for Liverpool. How do you think this is going to go? Yeah, I think it'll be close, but I do think it will be a Liverpool victory, unfortunately, for Leicester City. I'm going to go another 2-1. Uh, Joel, what do you reckon? Yeah, I think a Liverpool victory. They've got the momentum now compared to the start of the season when it just looked so inconsistent. So I reckon a 3-0 victory again. <laughs> Uh, and I'm going to go three for three for, for for three. Yeah, three goals, three points for Liverpool. Uh, I think it'll be fairly straightforward and it won't take long for the pressure to come back on Brendan. Right, we're going to grab a quick break here. Previews in the bank. We are switching across to transfers. The January transfer window is just days away from creaking open. There's been a few agreements already signed, but who else could be on the move? All that to come after the break. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? 
Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Friday's edition of the Football Social Daily. We are flicking into transfer mode. Yes, the January window is almost open and Premier League sides are on the hunt for some big signings. We're going to go for a big fish to start with, Niall, and that is Jude Bellingham. England fans in love with him uh, during the World Cup because he was incredible for Gareth Southgate's side, arguably England's best player, and there's big transfer interest in him. Borussia Dortmund have said he's unlikely to stay there beyond the end of this season. Liverpool and Real Madrid, the front runners, and Dortmund are asking for about 150 million euros. Not bad uh, money if he can get it. All three of Spain's main players, Marca, Dejaruas, and Mundo Deportivo, are all saying, unsurprisingly, that Real Madrid are in the box seat. What's best for Bellingham? Well, well, the first thing I should say is, you know, I mentioned earlier about those Facebook memories and me talking about David Moyes' eyebrows when I was <laughs> 19 or 18. Well, Jude Bellingham is playing in the Bundesliga for a top club and playing in the World Cup. So I think the first thing I should mention is something I always say is that at the age of 19, and he doesn't turn 20 until the summer, by the way, he is so mature and developed and no wonder there's plenty of interest and no wonder we're talking three figures in terms of the millions we're talking hundreds of millions and not tens of millions when it comes to potential signings for, for Jude Bellingham so first things first what an accomplished player what an impressive young man he is and what happens to him in his future is going to be a big topic of conversation because he already has these leadership qualities you look at the way that he speaks to the media you look at the way he conducts himself in himself he he very rarely gets himself into trouble when you look at some other players who at that age you know were were kind of maybe nowhere near as mature as what this young man is showing and you now i go back to what i was like when i was 19 you know i was wearing my Fred Perry with my collar up thinking I was the coolest person around town. So, you know, there's certainly um, a difference here in in mentality. So Jude Bellingham for me is going to be a success wherever he goes. It feels like he's meant for that. And just jokingly, before we started recording the podcast, Fergal, you said to me, will Jude Bellingham end up at Portsmouth? Well, actually, I was lucky enough to watch Jude Bellingham make his professional debut for Birmingham City. He was 16 years and I think, oh, I've got it here, 16 years, 38 days old. Um, he started a match. They they lost Birmingham. They lost at Fratton Park 3-0. But he was quite clearly someone who you could see would be a star of the future at just 16. And then a lot of people kind of pointed the finger and laughed at Birmingham City when they retired his shirt number when he left. But it's looking like probably something that 
might be quite a smart decision in terms of the effect and the impact that he could have on English football. One thing I don't like doing, but I've already done it, is waxing lyrical too much about young players. Things can change very, very quickly. I remember having similar conversations about Deli Alley when he was 15, making his debut for MK Dons or 16, however old he was. And then he gets signed for Tottenham first two seasons. He sets the Premier League on fire. And now what's he, 26 and getting subbed off in the Turkish League to resounding boos. And, you know, that's how quickly things can fall off. I'm not saying that the same will happen to Bellingham because I don't think it will. But uh, but I definitely think that, you know, you kind of have to be careful with these players at a certain age that, you know, one injury can change everything. You only need to look at someone like Michael Owen, who got injured quite regularly in his late 20s and never had the same career. Once he hit 30, that was it. He was, he was basically finished. So you've got to be careful when you talk about young players because it is a long career. Um, but what an impressive player. And I think whether he signs for Liverpool whether he signs for Manchester City, whether he signs for Real Madrid, he's going to be a success. I think it's impossible to pinpoint exactly where he will sign. I do think he wants to come to the Premier League though. I do think he does. And I don't think that there'll be any harm in him staying in Germany for one more year. Um, He's still only 19, as I say, he just turned 20 and he'll not even be 21 by the time the summer after the one coming up rolls around. So, you know, so much potential, so much development still to be had for Jude Bellingham. And I think whether it is any of the clubs you've already mentioned, Fergal, I think he'll do well there. Just before we move on to, to some of the other transfer rumours being banded around, Joel, what's your take on this? It, it does look as if it's going to be Liverpool, Real Madrid or, or potentially Manchester City that goes for Bellingham and pays the big money that Borussia Dortmund are, are pushing for. Carlo Ancelotti has said that Real Madrid won't be making any big signings in January and getting together a £150 million deal is, is never easy and definitely not when you've only got 30-odd days to, to work on it. So the likelihood is that it's probably going to be the summer What's the best situation for him? Because we were chatting before we started recording about more England internationals playing outside of the Premier League. Jude Bellingham is currently the only one that went to the World Cup that is playing his trade outside of England. Is it better for him to continue his development in that sense, playing for Real Madrid, who are the most successful team in the history of the Champions League, defending Champions League champions, defending Spanish champions? Or do you think he comes back to the Premier League and just dominates? We're just tailing off what Niall said. I think if it wasn't for his demeanour and how mature he is for his age, I would say Real Madrid isn't the right place to go. But the fact that he just feels like a completely seasoned professional amongst other 19-year-old players that I can think of, I think he would absolutely thrive at Real Madrid. And it's not easy to say that because we've seen so many top world-class players go there and they've completely shrank. And they haven't looked like the player that they were when they signed. I mean, even look at Edin Hazard. I know he's had a lot of injury issues, but it's not a help to the fact that he's at Real Madrid and that the media spotlight is intense there. Not even the media spotlight itself, even the fans, they'll turn on you in an instant if they don't think you're giving output. It's almost like a constant battle to prove yourself every single game there. And I feel like with Bellingham, if he was in a midfield with the likes of Valverde, Schuermeni, Camavinga, I mean... That could be one of the best midfields we've ever seen in terms of the the way they're developing at the moment. And I just think he needs to go to a club where he's not going to have to feel like he's the big fish because we've seen it with a lot of midfielders, I think namely Paul Pogba. I don't know if it's because he came to the club at the wrong time, but he was made to be the big fish in a position where it's difficult to be that. And I think with Jude Bellingham, he has the right character he has the maturity he's almost expedited just how quickly it's it's happened for him Um, I think Real Madrid will be the right club to go to Um, but I agree with Niall that I think what's the rush 
He's 19 years old. I think if he stays at Dortmund another season, he could potentially become club captain, which would be a massive honour for him um, and expedite, again, his growth as a person and as a player and still be at a Champions League club being the main guy in midfield. So I just think there's no rush. He needs to just be patient, see how the managerial thing plays out because I don't think Ancelotti's going to stay there for another season after this year. So I think it's he's in a position where he can bide his time, really analyse what is the best for him. Uh, but of course, I think everyone would want to see him in the Premier League because, well, he's an English player, isn't he? But I just think he has the quality to succeed at Real Madrid. Another potential uh, incoming to the Premier League next month, Niall, is Jao Felix. Manchester United, Arsenal and Chelsea all interested. That's according to the Daily Mirror. But there is a bit of a stumbling block. Atletico Madrid are asking for £8 million not to buy him. That's just for a six-month loan and then potentially €75 million in the summer. Atletico Madrid have said they're effectively happy to sell him. They need to recoup money after bowing out in the Champions League group stages. It wasn't so long ago that he was going for crazy money. 126 million Atletico paid for him in 2019. That's the fourth highest ever transfer figure. And it's not really worked for him in Madrid. He's averaged six league goals per season for the last four years. He's still young enough to have his career reignited. But are these teams right to be cautious? Eight million for four or five months of football and then the potential of signing him? Do you, do you think that could maybe eventually scupper him coming to the Premier League? Yeah, I think so. But before we get on to discussing the loan fee, I think it's quite, I guess, poetic almost that we're talking about Jude Bellingham being 19 and possibly going for 100 plus million pounds. And here we are, we have a 23-year-old who played one season for Benfica, was fantastic, scored hat-tricks, made assists, helped Benfica to win the Portuguese league and then signs for Atletico Madrid for the fee you've already quoted there, Fergal, after one season in first-team football at the age of 20. He's now 23 and we're talking about him possibly making a loan switch for a decent chunk of money, it must be said, but that's how quickly things can change. It is strange, isn't it? Imagine if Joao Felix had had another season at Benfica, would he be in a better position now? Atletico Madrid still a really good player still a really dangerous player I remember watching him in the Champions League um, a couple of times I think they played Manchester United didn't they in recent seasons um, Atletico I'm not sure whether that was in the Champions League I think it might have been you know um, but he was very impressive in both matches against Manchester United so I think he's one of those players that when he's on it he's unbelievable um, but it just seems to maybe drift out of games or games passing by and then as you say one game turns into two turns into three without a goal and then you're looking at an average of six goals a season like you said so he's still a very very good player Joao Felix but with the record that he's got is you know the eight million pound loan fee a risk worth taking what we do know about January transfers is that they're always a risk and you're going to have to pay above the odds because the good teams don't want to let their better players go in January. The players that are available in January normally aren't really wanted by anyone or are unhappy. How will that work out in terms of settling into a new club in one of the toughest leagues in world football, the Premier League? So I do think there's a lot to be said uh, for, for January chances. For example, Declan Rice is a great example. You know, West Ham would not in a million years sell Declan Rice in a January window. It just absolutely wouldn't. So in terms of this being sort of a six-month loan for £8 million or euro and then no obligation to buy at the end of it, what sort of club would be keen to take that sort of punt? 
I'm not so sure. It feels, I can see, do you know what? I can see him in a, like a Chelsea kit. You know, you just see some players that feel like they they suit certain clubs. I can see him in a Chelsea kit. And the way Todd Bowley's been running things at Chelsea, he's basically gone in there and appointed himself technical director in charge of all the transfers and turfed everyone out when he did the takeover. I can see him thinking, you know, who's this lad was worth 126 million. We can get him for 8 million for six months. I can, I can see him trying to pull something like that off. So um, it's a, it's a, 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 an interesting situation because he's a very good player. And as you say, he's only just turned 23. So much potential still to be had, but um, will he resurrect his career? As you say, in, uh, in the premier league, or will he just remain in Spain and maybe move to a different uh, Spanish team at some point in the next few years? And, become a focal point there I know he's more of a kind of an attacking midfielder he can play out wide as well will we see him develop into a, a centre forward a la what Cristiano Ronaldo did all those years ago you know I'm not saying that these two players are on the same level that's not what I'm saying at all just Ronaldo was a winger um, and then found more joy in the Spanish division through the centre of the pitch whereas in the Premier League he was deployed pretty much exclusively as a winger by the last six months of his time under Ferguson at Old Trafford when he did play matches through the centre so I just wonder whether we could see the development of Joao Felix into a maybe a deep line 10 as a playmaker. Maybe we'll see him play through the middle as a central striker or a second striker rather than peeling off to those wide areas and trying to make a difference from there. So yeah, um, great player. Will he end up in the Premier League at that price, Fergo? I don't think so. Solid financial advice, McCorn to Bowley. Spend your money wisely in January. I think that's uh, that's very good of you to give him to give him that bit of advice. I'm not sure he'd be listening to me, Fergal, to be honest. Well, you know, he could do he could do a lot worse than listen to you. I've seen uh, the Molten Brown soap in the Chelsea changing rooms. So I don't think they'll be worried about spending a few extra quid. Uh, someone who's probably not going to go for a lot of money could maybe even go for nothing. Joel Manchester United and Eric Ten Hag's Dutch revolution rolls on again in January. Memphis Depay potentially going back to Old Trafford. He didn't have the best time as an Old Trafford uh, favourite, shall we say. 29 Premier League games, just two goals. His contract is almost up at Barcelona. Is it worth a punt? No, not in my opinion, especially when he's on a three and six months time as well. It was quite baffling that he only signed a two-year contract with Barcelona to begin with, which almost shows Barcelona's intention with him, which was not to keep him for such a long-term uh, amount of time because he was only 26 when he signed and he was on the back of pretty amazing Lyon performances where he was scoring between 15 and 20 goals every single season for four years. So for me, although... I have to give him a good amount of admiration for the fact that he's really resurrected his career after a very disappointing first spell at United to then go on to Lyon and end up at Barcelona. I mean, that's a success. But the fact that we've already had him at the club and he's already had a chance. I know he's a very different player now to what he was then. Seems like in terms of maturity, in terms of his all-round game. But I'm just not a fan of these almost Woodward-esque kind of signings which don't need to be really made. I know we're very, very thin. I mean, we're one Anthony Martial injury away from just complete catastrophe in terms of our forward line. Um, and that's why, you know, like you've both mentioned, the likes of Jao Felix has been linked, but it's just very far and few between top, top strikers these days. They're a very rare breed of player now. They're almost a, a luxury, a commodity these days. And although he is you know, pretty decent. He's got a decent record at Barcelona as well. Got 12 goals in 28 games last season. I just don't think it's the right fit. And I don't, I'm don't. i not a fan of going back 
to players and trying to dig something out of a grave that's already been dead and buried a long time ago. So I think for me, um, I would rather potentially, you know, promote Joe Hugill from the youth academy potentially or give one of the younger kids a chance if need be because that's what happened with Marcus Rashford. It was a very significant chain of events that one day, I think it was against Wolfsburg where Anthony Martial had an injury just before the kickoff and then obviously Rashford came in and the rest is history after that. Sometimes you do need these moments. We also need luck, Joel, don't you? Because Rashford needed to get lucky to to score those goals and obviously he was in the right place, but that kind of was the, the rocket fuel he needed to start a career. Whereas let's just say they promote Hugill and he messes a chance up. You know, that's that could be the final the final opportunity he gets. Um you look at like James Wilson came in, uh was it young Keen? Will Keane's um younger well they're twins aren't they one of the you're thinking of will young <laughs> will young <laughs> and then also you have kiko Makeda as yeah. well the cream always rises to the top yeah you know, it's true. It always rises it's to true. the top it doesn't but, matter I mean, Memphis, how good or bad you Memphis are Depay is a different different character now isn't he yeah different breed he's quality i mean he's an international star i mean he's one of the best players for the netherlands dutch squad um but if it was for six months i would say yes but it's not gonna be because well it could be potentially a six month loan but uh barcelona he's got six months on his contract so it'd be kind of risk-free but um united are in a very difficult position now because like i mentioned you know ronaldo's gone we're one injury away from having no proper striker because i don't fancy rashford up there so it'll be it's going to be a disappointing window put it that way it's not going to be a aussie men it's not going to be a latoro martinez it's not going to be anyone of that kind of stagnant stature and quality so i don't have a massive amount of uh, expectation but we could do worse than him but like i mentioned sometimes you need to give a chance to some of these young boys to prove themselves Incredibly strong imagery there, Joel. I don't think I'll get that uh, great digging. What was it? Digging a grave or digging an old grave? I don't think I'll be able to it's shake. Very that morbid, from my, wasn't it? For from my nightmares. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry, it's a very, very nasty. Have you been watching some, some very nasty old WWE <laughs> over the Christmas break? I must have been watching Undertaker, Kane, Undertaker yeah. or something because it's in my unconscious now. <laughs> I uh, I think it's fair to say that Joel categorically does not want Memphis Depay at Manchester United. We can draw a line under under that one, right? Uh, we're going to wrap it up for transfers, take another quick break, and then after the break, it is the Friday quiz, the final Football Social Daily quiz of 2022. So that's to come after the break. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to Friday's edition of the Football Social Daily. We are saying goodbye to 2022 and hello to 2023. And we've got the perfect sign-off for 2022. A quiz. Niall, Joel, doing battle for one final time in 2022. Now, I've got to be honest, I'm used to having Marley 
and Joel in the <laughs> Mastermind hot seat. So I'm interested to see how uh, how Niall gets on against Joel. <laughs> Do you know what? Normally I'm the quiz master as well when Joel's the contestant <laughs> and he's had a few uh, very a few quips about iffy. my oh. VAR decisions. <laughs> so looking forward to this. Right, let's uh, let's get cracking. Uh Niall, you can go first as the uh, as the as the fresh one in the hot seat, okay? Oh, sounds good to me, Fergal. Right, smashing. So the theme of the quiz is have you been paying attention? Obviously, busy return to Premier League action after the World Cup. So we've got some slightly World Cup connected questions and some returning Premier League questions. So, Niall, ready? I'm ready, Fergal. Right, question one. Who was the first returning World Cup player to score on the Premier League's return from the World Cup? So who was the first player to score in the Premier League after returning from the World Cup? Oh, it's a really good question because I know the first game was a 12.30 kickoff. It was Spurs against Brentford. I seem to think that Brentford were 2-0 up and I can't remember who scored the Brentford goals. But I know that Harry Kane scored for Spurs and I know that Harry Kane, of course, played in the World Cup. And I know that, of course, Denmark are at the World Cup and Brentford have a bunch of Danish players. So I am completely torn between choosing one of Brentford's many Danish players or Harry Kane. But I can't think of, of anyone um, in the Brentford team who might have scored on on as regular a basis as Harry Kane. I think scored his 10th goal in Boxing Day matches on that, ga- on that day. So I'm going to go for Harry Kane. It's probably wrong because I know Brentford scored the first two goals in that match, but uh, uh, Harry Kane's my hunch and that's what I'm going to go with. Uh, hey, yes. Knowledge bomb dropped by Niall there. Uh, it was Get none of in. Brentford's great Danes. It was Vital Janalt that got the first goal. He didn't go to the World Cup. Ivan Tony got the second goal and we know that he didn't go to the World Cup. And then ever-reliable Harry Kane with the third goal back, but the first goal for a returning World Cup star. So, a strong Get start in. from Niall. Uh, Joel, ready? Let's go. Let's go. Who was the only other member of England's World Cup squad to score on Boxing Day? Now, this is specific just to December 26th. So, Harry Kane scored. Who was the only other member of England's squad to score on Boxing Day? Sugar. Um, Trying to think who even played on Boxing Day, (laughs) let alone even scored. (laughs) That would be a good start. Um, Who's the most likely to score on that bloody England team? I'm gonna have to get. Uh, no, it's gonna. I'm gonna go with. I can't even. I can't even think. I'm gonna have to guess. I'm gonna have to go with Sterling. Uh, that is incorrect, Niall. I'm gonna throw it across for a bonus point. Uh, I've just had a look, so I can't claim the bonus point. Ah, so okay. I've just, I've just had a look. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna <laughs> cheat Joel out of a point here. See, Very look how honest, honest I am. <laughs> Christmas spirit, Joel. Christmas spirit. Um, I've just seen that it's Bukayo Saka. I think is that correct. right? Correct. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. It was Bukayo Saka scoring. I wouldn't have got that, by the way. I wouldn't have got that. <clears throat> okay, right. So uh, still one nil to Niall as we move into the next stage. A Premier League related question: hmm. Who? Holds the who holds the record for the biggest comeback from not being top at Christmas to win the Premier League in May. Now this is not based on points. This is based on league position. Who has come from the furthest back league position at Christmas to win the Premier League in May? Oh, I think it's going to be one of the Manchester clubs, and I know Manchester United came back to overtake Newcastle in the 90s 
I know that they pushed Blackburn all the way as well in that season when Blackburn won it. And I think in the 90s, United made a bit of a habit of finishing the season really strongly. But a couple of years ago, I distinctly remember on this podcast, Manchester (laughs) City being 10th in the table up until Christmas time. And I'm pretty sure they went on to win the league. I'm not sure how accurate that is, but that's somewhere knocking around like an acorn at the back of my brain. So I'm going to go with Manchester City. Correct, yes. And yes, thought get process in. as well. They were eighth in 2020-21. Liverpool were top on Christmas Day after 15 games played and Manchester City hauled them back to win the title. Right, Joel, it's all or nothing. Are you ready? Come on, let's go. I've got the spirit of Mbappe in me now. <laughs> okay. Um, this is, again, a World Cup slash Premier League-themed uh, question. Which Premier League player scored the most goals at Qatar 2022? Uh, scored four goals. Wait, I'm trying to think if Rashford only got three. Oh, wait, 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 wait. I'll give you a massive clue. It's not Marcus Rashford. Just to help you out. Hmm. <laughs> he scored four in the Prem. Oh, it's, it's got to be someone from the Argentina side, hasn't it? Mm. I'm going to... Ah, Julian <laughs> Alvarez. Correct. Yeah, he <laughs> slipped my mind because he barely even played. <laughs> Do you know what? I was nearly... If you are going to pass it over, Fergal, I might have guessed Valt Veghurst, but I don't know if he still plays for Burnley or if, if the loan's a permanent thing or if he even scored no, four goals. He just popped straight into my head. <coughs> according to Wikipedia, he's gone. Uh, and I, I think he only okay. got three. So I think he's he's in uh, oh, okay. he's in Marcus Rashford country. Uh, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> we uh, had a slightly shorter quiz, Joel, so I'm afraid it's 2-1. It's oh, look at this. When uh, Niles involves, something hold dodgy on, always hold goes on. on. <laughs> hold on. I've just dug up a bonus question that if you get it right, can send it to a tiebreaker. How's that for a Christmas deal? He's not happy. Joel's not happy, yes, is he? Yes, absolutely. As it should be. Okay, right. Following on from Julian Alvarez. So this is just for you, Joel. <laughs> Following on from Julian Alvarez, which Premier League player received the FIFA Goal of the Tournament Award <laughs> for Qatar 22? Why does my memory really not serve me in these circumstances? Um... Goal of the tournament. This is a fan-voted award that FIFA give out. I'm going to... It wasn't Rashford's free kick, was it? I'm gonna... Just like <laughs> the last way, question, it's Rashford. not Rashford. <laughs> not the, the answer to every question is not Marcus Rashford. In fact... Honestly, I actually can't... Yeah. The only... Just, just, just give us one player that's not Marcus Rashford. Volume, in my opinion, but... I can't remember. Do you just want to guess every player possible, Joe, until you get the right answer? No. Niall, do you want to have a guess? Oh, that would have been my guess as well. Alvarez's solo run and finish, um, a la Maradona, all those years before. Um, I seem to remember Mbappe standing on the pitch holding an award, looking really, really miserable after the World Cup final with all the Argentinian players next to him with their respective awards, like Emmy Martinez and Lionel Messi. But I think that was for... 
golden ball. That's for the golden. Yeah, boot. Oh, sorry, go- golden, golden boot. boot. Yes, my bad. Yeah, with the with the most goals scored in the tournament. Do you know what? I didn't. I must be honest. I didn't watch a great deal of the group stages of the World Cup, but there must have. You been... You were sipping mojitos uh, on a Thai. Uh, yeah, I was. I was in Thailand. Yeah, <laughs> there must have been a few crackers in and amongst those. Uh, and this this goal came in the group stages. Mm, yeah, as well. and this is what I knew this was gonna this was gonna undo me. I think I've sewed up the win though, haven't I? Even though if I get if I get this wrong, so I feel there's a bit of an insurance policy there. Oh, you're free and easy. Free and easy. Okay, that's good. Um, what was the Shabalala moment of Qatar 2022? Nah, nothing will replicate Shabalala. <laughs> Don't even disservice that guy. <laughs> um, did Morocco end up scoring a really good goal? I feel like they did. Um, mm. African. I feel like it's an African team, but I'm not sure. I don't know, Fergal. Gone. Uh, the answer. The answer is Richarlison's scissor kick against Serbia. Oh, come on, nowhere near as good as Mbappe's. I don't make the rules. That was that was the one that was voted. That's what the people wanted. I hope it was worth it because uh, it's ended up putting him injured for the next three weeks or whatever. <laughs> so <laughs> so Richard, Richarlison got uh, got best goal. Joel, unfortunately, you've lost. But just so I don't throw the tiebreaker in the bin, I'm going to ask it just for fun anyway. <laughs> going to get Joel. Let you go first, quick as you can, and I mean quick as you can. Uh, how many Premier League players have amassed over 100 fantasy football points so far this season? So at the start of 2023, only four players have got over 100 fantasy points. Who are they? I'm not going to lie. I ditched fantasy about f- 10 <laughs> weeks ago, so I don't have a clue. Um, oh I'm going to probably, oh, on the top of my head, I'm going to say about six Oh, you want to know who the players are, right, Fergal? I want to know who the oh, players who are. are, yeah. Um, Not Mr. Six, right. no. He doesn't... I'm guessing Salah, uh, um, Haaland, um, Two more. Oh, two more. Salah, Haaland... So there's four players. Who else has been cracking in the league? I can't even think. Help me out, Niall. <laughs> It's not Marcus Rashford. No, not Niles. Niles keeping his own guess. <laughs> Marcus Rashford's not. Marcus Rashford's not one of them for sure. <laughs> Just guess um, Rashford for every question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my mind's gone blank. Them. That's my two answers. Okay, right. Well, there's you completely misunderstood the assignment. There's four players, Niall, yep. that have got over a hundred points now Joel has guessed two mm-hmm. only one of them is correct yeah so let your free wheel at it four players with over 100 fancy points oh, I think Harlan's definitely going to be one isn't he um how, how can he not be um if if Salah's who he's picked isn't one then I guess well Kevin Salah I'll, I'll say I'll say this as a disclaimer technically if Salah scores tonight he'll become the fifth player but at the moment he's okay not. well Harry Kane then he must have because he's he's scored a decent correct, amount of goals yeah. Um, oh, the did, other two are from the same team. I'll give you a oh, clue. Are they on both that. Man City? De, I mean, De Bruyne no. obviously has assisted Haaland loads, so he must have he must have close to a hundred points, if not more than a hundred. Um, yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to plump for De Bruyne to be honest with you. Um, so that'd be my third guess. And oh no, hang on, if they're both from because I was gonna say uh, Mitrovic as well, but I'm not hundred percent. Uh, is Ivan Tony not one? Oh, it's not a bad shout, nope. you know. But uh, no, I, I mean, I don't know. It's got to be someone from Man City. So, um, 
A De Bruyne and a another, I don't know. Cancelo, maybe. You are absolutely, completely and utterly wrong with the final two. So Erling Haaland and Harry Kane are the top two. Mali, where are you when we need you? It is Kieran, it is Kieran oh, Trippier, is it Trippier and Miguel Almiron are the other two players. Oh, my God. Of the, course, uh, Almiron. In the 100 machine plus at the moment. Goal. But yeah, disclaimer, any Liverpool fans uh, checking their fancy team and... and screaming as uh, as we're talking about this Salah can do it if he scores against Leicester tonight to make it five players going into the new year with over 100 points it's De Bruyne has got to be close as well De Bruyne is close reckon. but no cigar he's no Almiron okay, you know, that's, okay. That's, uh, that's just the way it goes uh, at the end of bit of um Bit of internal espionage there from Jack Grealish. <laughs> a bit of friendly <laughs> fire by, by what he said there about Almiron. Uh, and Joel, I haven't got time to scan down on how far Marcus Rashford is, but he's a bit of a way off. But here's to a big 2023. <laughs> we'll get there, we'll get there eventually. Okay. Uh, right, we're going to put a lid on it for today's podcast and for 2022. As always, thanks for listening to the podcast in the first half of the campaign. Keep it going in the second half. It's going to be a marathon all the way to the end of the campaign. Joel, Mar- uh, Joel, I was about to say Marley. Joel Nile, <laughs> as always, thanks for your time. No problem at all, Fergal. And thanks to everyone, as you mentioned, who's listened through 2022. We appreciate everyone who subscribed, all your support. So yeah, keep it going into the new year. I'd love to speak to you then. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, guys. Great stuff indeed. As always, as now mentioned, hit subscribe up the top and you can check out all the fantastic content that we are continuing into 2023. Thanks for listening and catch you soon. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.